This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we have a lot to go over this hour. We're going to be joined by Rich Lowry. Well, I'll talk politics with him, but I thought his column really struck me. We're getting rid of the SATs in this country. How are you able to judge whether... You have a student there with great potential, with great accomplishment. Maybe your GPA is a little bit down, but you go and kill it on the SATs because your school's a little bit more challenging in San Antonio than maybe it is in San Francisco. That used to be one way we could find out how to get into schools. Rich Lowry writes about this. You know, might not be perfect, but it was a standardized test. Class rank is something else they got rid of because they want people to feel better if they had a low ranking. Jerry Willis on the economy and a lot to discuss there. Uh, we are looking at the buildup of these illegal immigrants getting on the Texas border, just as everyone feared. Seventy-five thousand have come over the last three days. So let's get to, excuse me, ten days. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. I do believe, and I've said this before, that AI is going to replace many clerical white-collar jobs, and that's the kind which I expect AI will replace over the next five years. And that, by the way, has been the nature of technology for 250 years. Takes away in some areas, but gives better in others. Uh, Yeah, uh, that doesn't bother me as much, but that is the CEO of IBM talking about the future of work. It's going to matter a lot to maybe people listening right now. I get it, but the scary stuff about AI continues. Another day, another dire warning from one of the designers and what it, of what it's capable of and how it's going to impact society. I'll bring you the latest. And don't worry, VP Harris is having a big AI meeting today. She's on top of it. Number two. It's heartening that there's a meeting on the books because that means that there's at least coming to the table to have a discussion about a potential way forward. So far, there's no indication that either side is willing to move from their position. It's unbelievable. Lower your expectations, America, despite a looming deficit uh, debt ceiling and the president about to go overseas. Don't expect much to emerge from their leadership meeting at the White House in May, May 9th. The question is, who feels the pressure more, McCarthy's Republicans or Biden's bunch, as we as a nation are about to default on our debt, perhaps? Number one. Obviously, the border is not secure. Anyone with eyes can see that. And anyone who lives in a border state like I do actually takes offense at comments like that because they're just factually not true. Just like the mayor of El Paso I just spoke to on television. That is Senator Kirsten Cinema. 
Now, Senator Sinema, now an independent, got elected as a Democrat, is finally saying what needs to be said. The border is not secure. And you know the Biden administration knows it because they're sending 1,500 troops to the border. It's about to buckle. As I mentioned, thousands are coming by the day and expected to really pick up in two weeks. We'll dig into the real story that should concern us all. And the border, as I mentioned, is busted. And we know that Title 42 is about to expire. The president claims illegals are down 91 percent. Listen to this exchange, and then I'll put some context to it. This is KJP, who on uh, Monday came out and said, we know border crossings are down 191%. And nobody challenged her. I'll put it in context in a second. But listen to her bizarre reaction to the question on the authenticity of that remark from Peter Ducey. Cut 13. You said yesterday that when it comes to illegal migration, you've seen it come down by more than 90%. Where did that number come from? It was, because I was CBP speaking. is telling us the number is. I hear you. I'm about to answer. I'm about, people more I'm about to answer you. Year so if you, far. if you, if the dramatics could come down just a little bit. I, um, know, if it, the dramatics could come down a little what's bit. What's dramatic about asking a question about? Okay, I'm, go- I'm going to answer. So I was speaking to the parolee program. As you know, the president put in place a parolee program to deal with, uh, to deal with certain countries uh, on on ways that we can limit illegal migration. And we have seen the data has shown us that it has gone down by more than ninety percent. That was what I was speaking and to. to no, I'm, really we're, we're going to go. We're going to move. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because she did not qualify that on Monday. So what she's talking about is these uh, horrific countries. Venezuela, Cuba, Haiti, and Nicaragua are ruined by, there's no government in Haiti. Nicaragua, Ortega, communist. Cuba, communist. Venezuela, socialist, communist. Dominated now by the Chinese and Russians. People are trying to get out of there. I don't know if we're getting their prisoners, but they're flooding at great numbers. So they said you got to apply in the first country you touch in. Let me see. That is Donald Trump's policies that you got rid of. And now, because of that parolee program, they went from 252,000 to 156,000. So it's not even accurate to say a 91% drop. But the next month, in March, it went up to 191,000, which is very close to 252. In April, the number's supposed to be a dead heat. The parolee program was a Band-Aid that didn't aid. Now we have a situation where the crossing is going to pick up to a point where everyone is predicting the worst, which means other networks are eventually going to have to pick up these horrific scenes. Stephen Miller knows all about the border because, look, we remember the stops and starts with the Trump administration. We remember how many people got fired, two different Homeland Security secretaries. You remember that we had to pressure all these countries to stop sending people, pull back aid, and then threaten Mexico with tariffs as they didn't put 25,000 of their Marines on their southern border. Cut 12. So people like him and including him were immunized and exempted from ICE deportation officers. That means more and more innocent Civilians are going to be slaughtered by people who should have been picked up, put on a plane, put on a bus, and sent out of this country. Congress has appropriated the funds. Congress has provided the money. The ICE officers are there. They have been benched. They have been put on, they have been put on no pun intended, ICE. They are not allowed to do their jobs. And as a result of that, Mallorca should be impeached. Biden should be impeached because that is an absolute violation of immigration law, and people are dying as a result. We're not going to get an impeachment, uh, and we shouldn't go through it. He's, uh, he should not be reelected, and I think Democrats should say it. Uh, what Kirsten Sinema is saying, what Senator Kelly's beginning to say, what Senator Manchin's beginning to say, you know, the, the moderates, and I thought Kelly would be more moderate. Let's see if he speaks up, but Senator Sinema's well, throw caution to the wind. She actually left her party, so embarrassed by it. So 
uh, what I should have did a better introduction to that soundbite because this the right way to introduce it is there's been a manhunt on for the illegal immigrant on Friday who was told who was asked by a, a family next door can you stop shooting your gun I have kids next door and they're getting startled by it and then when he said no they said okay we're going to call the police. What he did right after is march over and assassinate five of them, including a nine-year-old chilled child, shot him in the head. There was an arrest yesterday after a massive manhunt, and it turns out the wife's arrested too, and three others were aiding and abetting this fugitive, this maniac who killed. And guess what? Here illegally, even the family he shot was here illegally. There's a whole subculture in this country that's not accountable. When you start getting outraged from other networks, that'll do it. Because as powerful as this show is and our channel remains, you have to wonder when these people are going to understand it's not in our national interest. And in the back of my mind, I'm still wondering, why are we getting thousands of Chinese dressed to look like an upper middle class luggage and wareness being dropped off in Panama, making their way up through Mexico and crossing our border? Are they really that desperate to get out of their country? Or they've been put in here to, to invade us from the inside. Tony Gonzalez talks about what needs to happen. He knows. He's in the district of, he represents the district of Uvalde on the border. Cut seven. What I believe needs to happen is we need to have judges at the border. And their case, uh, these, these folks get their cases heard in days, not years. And if you do not qualify for asylum, you don't get sent to D.C. or L.A. or Martha's Vineyard, as fun as that was. You get sent back to your country of origin. And if you do qualify for asylum, then welcome to the United States. This is what needs to occur. He knows. He takes on his own party when he has to. Uh, all right. Brian Kilmeade just getting started. A lot to discuss. I got to get into the economy. That's why Jerry Willis is here. And then Rich Lowry will talk about schools in 2024. Uh, another poll's out from CBS. I'll review it on the, on the right. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Why should those things for millions of Americans be sacrificed in in favor of your agenda for radical climate change? Senator, I, I know that uh, there's like 1.9 jobs for every American in the country right now. So I know there's a lot of jobs. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're telling me... <laughs> You're telling me we've got too many jobs in the country? Well, I'm saying that we don't have enough people. That's why we are um, having a hard time finding folks to work at our department. You're sitting here and telling me that we have too many jobs in this country? Are you serious? That is our interior secretary, totally overmatched, a totally check-the-box pick, talking about the reason we're not mining for rare earth in Minnesota. We need rare earth for batteries. Everybody knows it. Or else we got to buy it from China, who, if they don't have it themselves, they have it from Afghanistan or the Congo. And now that we can mine it, we don't want to mine it because they don't feel it's good for the environment. And she says we don't have enough people to do it. Uh, try to get your head around that. Jerry Willis does every day. <laughs> Anchor and personal finance reporter for FBN, host of Fox Nation Special, a new Fox Nation special called Real Tough Women, and host of the Fearless and Proud podcast. Jerry, welcome back. Great to be with you, Brian. Yeah, a lot going on in that statement, right? Can I just say, I, I, my big story was uh, her, her stance on jobs. Uh, I know we have 
10 million or 9 million open jobs. I know that we have about 3 percent unemployment. I understand that. Uh, but we only have 60 percent of, of the workforce, 62 percent of the workforce working. So some people are making a choice not to work. Absolutely. But to not mine that rare earth is counterproductive to this green push, isn't it? Right. So they're talking out of both sides of their mouth, right? You can't have it both ways, right? You have to have people to mine those, the rare earth for all of these products they want to make to save the planet. Yeah. But you you can't say that we're not going to do that. So I I think that's nuts and crazy. And I have to tell you, my big concern this morning is that economy and what's going on with that economy. We're getting a lot of mixed data, particularly about jobs. Yesterday, it was Jolt's open jobs at the lowest level in two years. That was a scary number. Today, we have ADP, which is private sector payrolls, coming in twice what was expected. Which means you added more jobs than you thought? Yes, exactly right, in the private sector. So tomorrow, uh, we get the federal jobs number, so we'll see what that is. But this is what happens late in an economic cycle as you're getting closer to a recession. You get all these numbers that don't make sense together. I think that's exactly where we are. Uh, well, first off, I want you to explain this IRS opportunity that's coming down the pipe because I haven't heard this before. You just explained to me in the break. Right. So I, I wouldn't call it an opportunity. <laughs> I would call it something else entirely. Right. You don't have to do it. Though. It's an <laughs> no, option. No. Well, absolutely right. So um, Elizabeth Warren, the senator, this was actually her idea. She wants the IRS to offer its own software on its site to do your taxes. So instead of going to the IRS website and free filing with one of the big private company software providers, you could take the IRS option. Do their own TurboTax. Do their own TurboTax. Compete with the private sector. And the IRS will decide if I get a refund? So judge, jury, and executioner. Yes. So I don't – you know, we have a voluntary compliance Uh, tax regime. That's how it works. People go in, they file their own paperwork, they give it to the IRS. You hire an accountant or you use software that gives you the very best uh, uh, um, filing for you. It gives you all your advantages. If the IRS does your taxes, don't they have to make sure that the IRS gets as much money as it possibly can? I think this is nuts. I think this is just crazy. Very few people, and and also very few people go along with it. There's got to be some type of incentive I can't predict. Uh, When First Republic collapsed, uh, the word came out on Friday, nobody bought it. But over the weekend, the FDIC took it over, and they said, who wants it? And they decided to choose J.P. Morgan Chase. Was it a good move for J.P. Morgan Chase to do it? And if so, why did they lay off thousands the next day? Are they, these things unrelated? I think they're unrelated. Okay. I think that uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, like every other bank in the country, is looking down the pike at what's happening with the economy. What they wanted out of First Republic were their financial advisors. Uh, First Republic had a ton of really wealthy clients that they were advising, managing their money. Right. They're famous for this list of clients. And it really fit well with J.P. Morgan Chase's business. Absolutely true. But also Jamie Dimon, St. Jamie, as we call him on the business desk, he's always getting involved in these deals. He's always coming into the rescue because at the end of the day, as the biggest bank in the country, it serves his interest to make sure that everything's working in an orderly manner. And, Jerry, the one thing I have to ask you is from um, from the layman's perspective, which I am on the outside, it seems like a no-lose for him because you have this insurance fund that's put together by the banks. They contribute to it. So you could say tangentially maybe depositors are contributing to it. But they come in and they, they get this money, save the bank, and then he comes in and takes what's left. He, does he have to assume all the debt? 
He knows he, he has assumes- to take the loans, but he doesn't have to assume the debt. He got the eleven eleven billion dollars, didn't he? Well, even if he only takes the assets, remember that old accounting thing called marked market? So all of those treasury bonds that that bank owned are now worth much less than they were stated on their balance sheet. And that's what banks across the country are facing right now. Interest rates spiked to the moon. And guess what? If you locked yourself into a lot of long-term treasuries uh, that were yielding 0.2 and 0.3, now they're worth a whole lot less. Jerry, if you have a combination of uh, sustained inflation and gradually rising rates, and the, we, we know about this, why aren't these CEOs who you imagine are the best this company has, who worked their way up, in the business or in some other business, why are they not ahead of the curve on this? Why are they getting caught? So it was 20 years of that, 20 years of having low interest rates. It's really re- hard to reset yourself to the new regime, but the isn't new that program. Your, isn't that your job? Right? Isn't that your job to say the inflation's going up and so is the interest rate? It is, but it was hard for people who had been in the markets for the last 20 years to imagine that that right. situation would persist. So they I, lost a ton of dough. So do you think a recession is imminent? What, I do. You do. And w- does that... I'm, I'm not an economist. I'm just looking at the tea leaves but, like everybody else, and I'm reading the economic data. And from the personal wealth standpoint, yes. what should the, our listeners be thinking about now when they say, well, you know, every month my, a portion of my, of, my, of my income is going to my 401k and maybe a money market or maybe an investment account? What should I be thinking? Well – A number one, get rid of all your credit card debt because those interest rates have spiked to the moon about 20% right now. You don't want to have a hangover over your head of of high debt. Keep investing, but you might want to – the closer you are to retirement, the more you want to change your mix of investments. Uh, We still have the federal government paying a pretty damn fine rate of interest on their bonds, and that's super-duper cheap and easy to get into. TreasuryDirect.gov, you can do it there. Any of the major bond houses will help you do that. Um, And ultimately, someday, sometime, stocks are going to go back up again. If you're 40 or under, don't panic. Just get rid of your debt. Uh, keep investing in stocks. If you're closer to retirement, it's start time to start thinking about, okay, well, you know, what do I want to do here? How can I preserve the wealth I have? Oh, oh, That's oh, my is view. American have a trouble? And believe me, I've been thinking a lot about this. So uh, you're not, you're far from retirement. I'm, I'm, I'm years away. Yeah, thank you. Years away. Um, but uh, Jerry, when you, when you see what's going on right now with the rates uh, and the Fed's going to make a decision this week, is there any reason to think that the rates are not going to go up? Quarter point locked in. If they don't do a quarter point today, uh, let me tell you, Katie, bar the door. There's going to be a market sell off because that's precisely what the market expects. Expects it's a hundred percent certainty uh, from the from investors that there'll be a quarter point rate hike. So if it doesn't happen, then everybody will be like, "Oh no, there's something we don't understand. What is it?" And they'll sell stocks. That's, that's a, just the way the market. You got to think ahead. Uh, think oh, about what Lord. every move means. Yes. Wow. Uh, so Jerry, how we get your podcast? Oh, well, you can you can get it anywhere where you get your favorite podcasts. And let me tell you, it was a ton of fun. I know you're a history buff. I'm a history buff. I just love talking about these Civil War women and the cool things they did. We had so much fun. You can go, you can go to Fox's own website to find the podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, Spotify or anything. Uh, the Fearless and Proud podcast with Jerry Willis. Jerry, thanks so much. Try Staying ahead of the curve again. Trying. All Trying. right, absolutely. Rich Lowry joins us next. Should we be getting rid of the SATs? Well, we are. How are you supposed to decide who deserves to be in what school?
the talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're back. Rich Lowry's with us now, editor of National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. And we'll talk about Joe Biden coming back and wanting four more years and what's going on at the border. But I also was struck by something you wrote about, Rich, and I've been uh, I, I've been reading about it and my head was spinning because I've had three kids now go through college. And to me, the SATs, he started studying for it in about ninth, 10th grade. Now it's gone. It's racist. It's gone. We don't want to do that. We don't want to judge people. We don't want to lose class rank because it makes people feel bad. Now we don't use SATs because certain regions might be more challenged than the next or certain ethnic backgrounds, which is totally wrong. How the heck are you going to decide who gets into what school? Rich Lowry joins us. Rich, you wrote about this. Why, why did you think you had to write about this? Well, it's just part of the larger offensive against merit, which is really yeah. destructive of our society. The Wall Street Journal article uh, last week, homework is now under fire because it's not equitable. You know, the, the kids with the more involved parents will tend, tend to do it more than, than other kids. Uh, gifted and talented programs under fire. And now that the SAT, which apparently 80% of schools now either don't require it or um, say they're not going to consider it at all. And, you know, Harvard will have a really sophisticated uh, admissions uh, staff no matter what, you know, and will find the kids they want to find. But that's not necessarily true of other institutions. And it's a way for um, kids that, that don't engage in sort of the resume building that really privileged kids do from, you know, about the age of five to, you know, with an eye to getting into Yale or Harvard, but are really smart. It's a way for them to indicate that on an SAT. So to throw that away is crazy. And then and then the immediate obvious um, rationale for this is the SATs have proved that these top schools have been discriminating against Asian Americans. It provides the, the hard numerical evidence, and they want to keep on uh, discriminating against Asian Americans because they, they don't want to have too many. And they want to do away with the evidence. It's crazy. Uh, I mean, it's just, for example, if, if I'm at Harvard or I'm at Stanford or, I, you know, a, a mid-level Pennsylvania school, you know, those smaller schools are hard to get into, too. Uh, a Williams College, uh, an Amherst College. These schools are very tough. They keep a very small student body to get that lower classroom to student ratio. And they got this great alumni and they're able to keep, you know, they got $70,000 in in, in uh Intuition and something they can give some aid for people that have the grades. Okay, grades vary. Some schools yep. just give away A's. Some it's like pulling teeth. The class rank, they don't want to do that. So how are you supposed to yeah. pick a student? Because yeah. it's going to be the color of their skin, their economic background. That changes everything about a school, I would imagine. Yeah. So there's there's uh, obviously there's great inflation and then people tend to lie on their applications. Shock, you know, if yeah. uh, you know they, they make themselves so sound better or say they're involved in activities. They weren't. The SAT is just a hard it's hard evidence. Everyone goes in. They sit down for the same amount of time. They take the same uh, test. They fill it out the same way. It's graded the same way. You know, multiple choice is, is, is not necessarily the, the way to, to measure everything, but um, it, it's easy to grade and it's subjective. And then you get the number and all the evidence is, despite what the left says, all the evidence is it actually predicts academic performance. So wh- why would you throw away this hugely important tool, even if you want to consider some other stuff? It's because they know they're going to lose the affirmative action case at the Supreme Court, or think they will, and want to go on discriminating. So they want to hide the evidence. And they're a- also enthralled to this just anti-meritocratic attitude where, where race and background, as you point out, trumps everything. So if so, right now, these high school sophomores, juniors have to be saying, you know, what do I do? You know, OK, I'm going to 
I mean, I, I actually don't know how you go about trying to get into a school. It also helps you, too. If you know you're an 88 average with 12, you know, a certain mark in your SATs, you look for a certain school. Mm-hmm. You know, and now all of a sudden you say, so I guess I can get in anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I know yeah. the, there's a school five miles from my house that is um, it's not as, nearly as good a school. And the grade point averages are much higher just the way it is. But the grade, the class rank was the big equalizer. So if if they're grading easy and you get a ninety nine, but you know everybody else got a ninety nine, yeah. so you got it. So now all of a sudden, all these schools are going to be judged by the same criteria. It's impossible. Yeah. So the the cynical view is that schools also want kids to kind of discount the SAT, think they can get into a school that they can't. So so more kids apply, and you're still accepting the same number. So then then your um, selectivity rating goes up. Um, so uh, I, I don't I don't put any, anything uh, beyond higher education because it's it's one of the more corrupt institutions, unfortunately, in American life. How pervasive is it now? Is it eighty percent of the schools are not using it? Eighty percent say it's optional, which which means you know you, you if you take the test, they still might look at it, or they're just not going to consider it whatsoever. Now it's still a minority that are just saying we're not going to consider it whatsoever. But clearly, this is an, an inflection point where this this test has been a you know huge part of everyone's life. If you went to college for the last fifty years, is clearly on on the decline and on on the way out. And look, I prepared for the SAT, but I learned a lot about about math. You know, yeah. you, you, their their testing strategies that you can know and, sure. and you know, it costs you 20 bucks to go to a Kaplan course and, and learn those. But you also need to know the math. <laughs> you need to know the words, and there's no substitute for that. You know, the thing is, too, with us, was get the Barron's book. You mm-hmm. get the Barron's book, and no one could stop you from taking sample tests. Yep. Then you yep. bounce it off. And most schools offer SAT classes. All those people bought it. By the way, might got to get another job. Uh, all those private schools, you know, the, the, the tutors or whatever, they might as well get another job because they're not going to be used, ACTs, SATs. It's just bizarre. Let's talk a little bit about uh, 2024 if we can. Right now, there's a new poll that, that came out, and it shows that Donald Trump is up by about 30 points from CBS. That's just did a poll on Ron DeSantis, who's the only one in double figures. How much credence do you give into polls at this point? Well, uh, you know, it's it's some of it's name ID, uh, and it's not necessarily predictive of what's going to happen a year from now. But it, it indicates something, and that CBS poll, I mean, it was astonishingly good for Trump. Fifty-eight twenty-two. Yeah, he's got the same. It's almost the same spread as in the Fox poll uh, between Biden and Robert Kennedy Jr. Right, and Robert Kennedy Jr. is not winning the nomination, but he's he's you know one point behind or two points behind, uh, a couple points behind where DeSantis is in that that CVS poll. So DeSantis has had a slide. If it keeps up at, at this pace, he could be in the teens by the time he announces. So you know even if he gets a ten point bump, you know he's still uh, just just where he is now or, or a couple weeks ago in the polls. So it's Bad. And then, then there's this balancing act where you got this guy who's formidable at 58%, who will fight you by any means necessary, you know, no, no holds barred. And then a lot of the party doesn't want you to criticize him. <laughs> so, so how that, how's that going to work? So, um, you know, I don't, I don't discount DeSantis. He still hasn't gotten in, but that poll just uh, highlights the enormous task ahead of him. Yeah, we'll just see with the if the two more indictments come down, what happens in this rape trial uh, for the front runner. Uh, so uh, the other big story is abortion. And let me ask you, did DeSantis get himself in trouble signing the six-week Florida ban? Listen to this. Cut 37 is Nancy Mace. 
signing a six-week ban that puts women who are victims of rape and girls who are victims of incest in a hard spot isn't the way to change hearts and minds. It's not mm -hmm. compassionate. The requirements he has for rape victims are too much, not something that I support as a non-starter. I am a victim of rape. I was raped by a classmate at the age of 16. I am very wary, and the devil's always in the details. We've got to show more care and concern and compassion for women who've been raped. I don't like that this bill was signed in the dead of night, and it puts them in a very difficult position for a general election. So that's Republican and Republican. Your thought? I think uh, we'll see where DeSantis comes down on a national legislation. I think the six-week ban, and, and I'm a pro-lifer, so I, I, I support it and I have no problem with it whatsoever, but the the, the um, it's more politically defensible if you're just like, well, th this is what uh, is sustainable in Florida. This is what Florida voters want, um, and I'm not going to try to impose it nationally, you know, which would impose it on California and New York, et cetera. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if that's the way DeSantis comes down. And there there are other states, you know, uh, that had a six week ban prior to the midterms, Georgia. Ohio, uh, Iowa, I believe, and the governors all romped there. So uh, depending on the state, depending on the strength of the politician, it, it by no means automatically is a killer, but it's, it's something that, that DeSantis will have to be really prepared to defend. I was stunned over the weekend. You had Chris Coons out there saying how energetic President Biden is. We know, and and I was offended, and it was a column today in the New York Times about it. When he made that comment, I'm going to have a 10-minute speech uh, not take any questions and turn around and walk away, and everyone laughed. I thought to myself, no, he's mocking you mm -hmm. because that's the way he's pre his presence. doesn't do press conferences, doesn't even uh, – doesn't do it with other world leaders when they come to visit. He uh, The last interview he gave with, with Drew Barrymore, and it was yeah. just comical. <laughs> uh, you know, no no offense that she does light interviews. It's not her fault. Yeah. But that's what that's he what wants. there for. Yeah. So, so he clearly is making people question whether he can do the job. Here's what Chris Kuhn said, cut 35. Um, Joe Biden loves campaigning. He loves going to uh, a coffee shop, a union hall, a fire station. I've seen no one in politics in my time who's more energized by connecting with voters, with average people than Joe Biden. His campaigns aren't generated rallies with a plane with his name on it behind him. They're connecting with average people. Really? He loved campaigning. It really mm -hmm. bothered him in the expanded soundbite when he had to stay in his basement during the pandemic for yeah. safety reasons. <laughs> does Chris Coons uh, take, does he think we take him serious? <laughs> well, I do think Biden, you know, he is a natural retail politician, but they're going to run an another version of a basement campaign. It can't be as basement -y as the first one. Because uh, there's no pandemic and he can't literally stay in the White House basement, but he, he's going to advance himself if Trump is the Republican nominee as just the default candidate again. You don't have to be excited about me. You don't have to show up at any any rallies. You don't have to be inspired by me. You just have to think I'm a, a better alternative than the other guy that we're going to do everything we can to make unacceptable. And th this isn't the most uh, inspired uh, path back to the the, the White House, um, but. It's a, it's certainly a plausible one, and their their theory of the case is not crazy. It doesn't mean it's automatically going to work. You know, it could be a re recession, could be other events, uh, and Trump is you know national polls with Biden is is competitive and leads in some, um, but it's not a crazy theory, and it very well may work. Uh, we're talking to Rich Lowry. Uh, it might it might work. It depends on what Trump brings to the table. If it's him or DeSantis or Nikki Haley or Tim Scott, you know, Mike Pence will probably be in too in a couple of weeks, and maybe Chris Sununu, whoever it is. 
Let me ask you right now, on average, Biden ahead of Trump, 1.4 percent on the real clear average. We'd, and we know that Biden in this last poll, I think it's 38 percent approval, astoundingly low with such a compliant press, stunningly low with such a compliant press. But has Trump showed you another speed yet? Has he shown you anything in 2024 that he didn't show you in 2020? Because I do say one thing. I think his team is stronger yeah. than it has was in 2020. What are you reading? Um, I, I think the, the last several weeks have been pretty impressive. I, I think the what they did to DeSantis when De, on DeSantis' trip to D.C., where they dropped all these endorsements of Trump from the Florida congressional delegation, was very shrewd. You know, and Trump had worked those uh, members of Congress in a way DeSantis hadn't, and just sort of stole stole them right out from under him. Uh, I think he's talked more about his future vision uh, rather than uh, 2020. So. Um, He's formidable. You know, he's been very hard to beat for the, the nomination. I think he has, you know, big obstacles in a general election. I would say at this juncture, probably like a 30 percent chance of winning a general election. Um, you'd rather be the other side of that equation. But, you know, if you're a baseball fan, uh, someone who gets a hit 30 percent of the time is, is a good hitter. And you're not shocked at any given that bad if they get a uh, get on base. So um, I, I don't discount him winning. I just think he's the, the riskiest choice. I do think it's a good move for him to go on CNN. And if they if they uh, if they're going to be unreasonable, like Jim Acosta was totally unreasonable when he covered him, and you know, and they're going to everyone was just thought he was the most this this four headed monster. Nothing he did was ever right. When he did something right, they focus on Russia. If he goes on and treat like another candidate, that'll that'll be huge for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, there's no downside to doing it. But if they just treat him unfairly, cut him off, and just focus on January sixth, that's be there for it. They'll never get him back. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously going to be a lot of that, but he'll he, he if anyone can bulldog his way through, you know, anything, it's Trump, and it's uh, it's a pretty good forum uh, for him, and we're all going to be talking about it, and that's the other thing. I mean, just Trump Trump is winning the attention game uh, once again, right? But you know who's doing a Trump plan? Vivek Ramaswamy. Mm-hmm. He goes on everywhere now. Everybody knows his name. And very few people have scored on him, and very few people aren't impressed from what they've heard. Your thoughts about the way he's doing it? So I think that the people that I would think are going to have a moment, um, you know, doesn't mean they're going to win the nomination or win win any state even, is Tim Scott. I wouldn't be surprised if people get really interested in him. And Vivek, who is a really smart and articulate guy. I don't think he should be running for president. I think it's it's uh, if you don't want Trump to be the nominee, it's very unhelpful that he's running for president because, you know, he has no incentive to get out at any time. And his 5% in Iowa or whatever will come out of the hide of uh, wh- whoever the uh, the main challenger is for Trump, presumably. But um, it's good for Vivek. There, there's no doubt about it. You know, we're, we're talking about him when we wouldn't otherwise. And whatever his venture is, uh, after this, will be enhanced by having having run. Rich, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Handling Brian. it all. Talk Rich Lowry, National Review. one 408 This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. When we come back, we find out what's going on at the border and why I have to lower my, my expectations for May 9th, the big meeting of the White House. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It is the irresponsibility of the Republican Party in Washington for refusing to do real immigration reform. And it's the irresponsibility of the White House for not uh, addressing this problem. We should not be burdening the weight of this problem. 
And so it's not about the people who are sue, who are pursuing the American dream. Now, that is uh, Mayor Adams. Some, like, just like normally Mayor Adams, some of the stuff he said is really good. And some of the stuff makes no sense. Do you not acknowledge, Mayor Adams, that you're a sanctuary city so people know if you get here, you get to stay? Do you not acknowledge that you feed, you clothe them, and you provide shelter for them for as long as they want? And don't you think that's an attraction? Absolutely. And the other thing to keep in mind, too, he's 100% right that the Biden administration is false. So he should pick up the phone and use some leverage. I want him to say, I can't get anybody on the phone. But like he said, half of what he says is true, and the other half makes you scratch your head. For example, saying that, well, uh, Governor Abbott is only sending illegal immigrants to cities with black mayors. Yeah, there's a lot of cities with white mayors and black mayors, but believe me, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles have one thing in common, sanctuary cities, and come one, come all, and we're quick to call you a bigot or anti-Hispanic if you had any problem with it, but now that it's costing you billions, billions that you don't have, now you cry races in the old standby. So I had a little argument with Mayor Lesser of El Paso because he's a Democrat and afraid to call out his government, Democrat. Uh, he has let his city fall apart. He is also putting people on a bus and sending it to New York City. And I got somebody who just wrote me and it's from John, John Kelly says, Mayor Lesser's viewpoint on illegal immigration, uh, according to his party's default talking points. We currently allow average of one million legal immigrants per year, not including temporary visas. If that is the broken system, what number would qualify for a solution? The left needs to be pressed on the details of a political solution because the fact that they're not protesting the amount of illegals. This is me now, not John Kelly, shows me that they are perfectly OK with the broken border. In case you don't know, we're sending 1,500. I thought it was National Guard, but soldiers down to the border. 1,500. What are you going to do with 2,000 miles and 15 others? Keep in mind, they're not going to be guarding the border. They're going to be third row. First row is Border Patrol. Second row is local police. Third row are men and women in camouflage who now have to live in the middle of nowhere in America and guard our back door because the president won't. And it's all about politics. The number's going to be too overwhelming to ignore. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Uh, we have uh, three of the new, three of the top five counties of people leaving uh, is New York these days. Why? Because there's these stupid rules, high taxes, and they're not focusing on crime. And now we got millions, uh, we have thousands of illegal immigrants there, costing us, on average, by the end of the year, $4.34 billion dollars. So now we had this rule yesterday that's passed on the cover of the New York of the New York Post that said they're going to add a fee to everyone's gas bill of eighteen percent. Why? Because the major gas companies, the National Grid and uh, the the other major one, came out and said, "You want us to go green? We're going to need some more money." Three hundred eighty million dollars. The other one needs four hundred million dollars in order to green the grid. So you're going to charge people more money for natural gas going into their house, knowing that the majority of the country's paycheck to paycheck, you just made uh, added another expense, and knowing that natural gas burns clean, does not hurt the environment at all. Let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I do believe, and I've said this before, that AI is going to replace many clerical white-collar jobs, and that's the kind which I expect AI will replace over the next five years. So interesting, the CEO of IBM, AI. Another day, another dire warning from one of the designers about what it's capable of doing, how it's going to affect us. I'll bring you the latest. And don't worry, Vice President Harris today is taking some AI meetings to make sure we get proper legislation and guidance. Number two. It's heartening that there's a meeting on the books because that means that there's at least coming to the table to have a discussion about a potential way forward. So far, there's no indication that either side is willing to move from their position. Alexi McAdams, lower your expectations, America, despite a looming debt ceiling deadline and the president about to go overseas. Don't expect much to emerge from the leadership meeting on May 9th. Why? Because the president basically said so much. McCarthy is going to be McCarthy with the leverage or Biden with the leverage. But we're the ones who are going to pay the price. Number one. Obviously, the border is not secure. Anyone with eyes can see that. And anyone who lives in a border state like I do actually takes offense at comments like that because they're just factually not true. Yes, Senator Kristen Sinema, former Democrat, now independent in Arizona. You know, uh, you know it. I know it. Now you know that they know it. The White House admits it because they're sending soldiers down to the border. You don't do that if you think the border is secure. It's about to buckle. 75,000 in the last 10 days. We're going to dig into the real story and get the real concern. And there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of concern. And by the way, Bobby Barak's going to be on, too. He's going to be talking about this whole trans movement. Do you know the Navy has a ad out now to recruit and basically shows a Navy officer or a cadet uh, and dressing, cross-dressing and becoming a trans? We're trying to get the trans community. It's point point zero 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 one percent of the country. Win over war fighters are going to help us win wars. What is wrong with you people? Are you insane? Who is doing this? The Secretary of the Navy says, listen, I'm going to resign if you make me put this out. So uh, the border's busted, as I mentioned. Uh, they, the president says illegals are down 91%, but they're not. Uh, last month, 252,000. Uh, The month in January, 256,000 in December. One of the reasons they say is because they focused on four nations, Venezuela, Cuba, Haiti, and Nicaragua. And they said you have to apply for uh, asylum in your country or the one next to you. If you get to the border, you're out. And it dropped uh, 91%, they claimed. Yeah, for those four countries, for one month, it dropped officially 84%. But it went from 252 to 156 and guess what? It's ticked up now to 191, and we'll just wait for the April scores. I wish everything was getting better. But because the president doesn't do anything, it's getting worse. He doesn't talk about it. It's getting unlivable. Tony Gonzalez, who works extremely hard at the border, he's in a border city in Texas. Cut seven. What I believe needs to happen is we need to have judges at the border, and their case, uh, these, these folks get their cases Heard in days, not years. And if you do not qualify for asylum, you don't get sent to D.C. or L.A. or Martha's Vineyard, as fun as that was. You get sent back to your country of origin. And if you do qualify for asylum, then welcome to the United States. This is what needs to occur. Yeah. So right now they announced a five-point plan with Mexico. Here's Trump's five-point plan with Mexico. If you do not control your southern border and take back the illegal immigrants that came on your northern border, with your Remain of Mexico policy, we're going to put tariffs on all your goods. And quickly, Obrador became the President Trump's best friend. So now they decide to work with Mexico and announced it. 
Here's to Mexico and the United States will increase joint action on human smuggling. Committed to continue to enhance the efforts to, to in Central America to address root causes. Wow. Didn't the vice president uh, supposed to do that, but the pandemic stopped him from traveling? What is stopping her now? Nice tends to, to welcome 100,000 individuals from Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador. Really? Why are we doing that? Who are these people? That is solving a problem? And third, Mexico recognizes the great potential value of the regional processing centers that the United States announced last week uh, and now and discussed how Mexico can contribute to their effectiveness. We announced last week that Guatemala and Colombia are going to have these hubs where people can apply and kind of cut out the human traffickers, make it a ton of money off the journey. Well, I don't know. Who are these people in the countries? They're fleeing communism. They're fleeing communism in Venezuela, fleeing communism in Cuba, horrible situations elsewhere. Not sure that's in our best interest, but this is the most inane, innocuous joint announcement. It's almost not worth the paper it's printed on. We know that Mexico's got to work with us, but we also know that Mexico was praising the cartels and was threatening to run candidates at Republican candidates for office and have all the Mexicans come out against our current government. Incredible. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, Bobby Brack's going to be with us, talk about this big trans movement. Just real quick, on the banking situation, First Republic is now part of uh, Jamie Dimon, uh, Jamie Dimon's empire, J.P. Morgan Chase, who then turned around and laid off 5,000 people. I just want you to hear from Kristen Cinema. I know she left the Democratic Party, but keep in mind, that used to be a party that was the biggest problem. She's a border senator. Cut one. The administration has known for two years that the end of Title 42 is coming. It was never intended to be a long-term solution. And James and I together, um, as the chair and and top uh, ranking member of the border subcommittee in the Senate, have been calling on the administration to prepare for the end of Title 42. Unfortunately, Brett, I'm sad to tell you that they haven't done it. They have not prepared for the end of Title 42, which comes in just a week and a half. Nuts. Uh, Senator Sinema, keep doing that. Keep calling her out. I think that she's going to have trouble getting six more years, no question. But it also makes it easier for a Republican to win because the independent Democrat against a Democrat nominee tearing each other's eyes out allows a Republican to emerge, in theory. Bobby Barack next. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we are back. one 866 Let's bring in Bobby Brock. Uh, from Outkick. Hey, Bobby, welcome back. Brian, you got it. I appreciate you having me. Hey, I'm just reading some of your columns for, uh, of late. This whole trans movement is absolutely driving me insane. It makes absolutely no sense. And then I'm looking at this recruitment for the Navy, and they actually have a uh, of uh, an ensign. It seem, doesn't seem to be an officer. And basically shows this ensign in uniform and then dressing like a woman, guy dressing like a woman. I, I guess trans, as if to attract transgenders into the military. There is so much wrong with this. I don't know where to start. Yeah, and, and out of all the places that you don't want to politicize, which is exactly what this trans movement is, is the politicization of telling people that they can be whatever they want to be, whenever they want to be, really at the expense of their own selves. If you look at the mental illness rates of people who end up changing their genders, it's really substantial and very concerning. But for the military to do this, 
that just takes it up to several different degrees because, Brian, out of all the things that I think make somebody a proud American, it's about how our military is so much better than everybody else and how we prioritize winning. But when you start to do that stuff when saying, well, it's more inclusive to have a trans person on the front lines, whether that they're the best person, that creates a dangerous scenario where you're no longer prioritizing the best people to protect the United States, but you're trying to win the PR battle, the perception battle. So for the Navy to stoop that low and try to join in on this buffoonery, I mean, to me, that's far more concerning than any other institution bowing down to this because this is at the foundation of the United States, the military. So to see them do this, I think ought to drive everybody insane, not just you and I. Right. But when you when you think about what's happening now, you have a bunch of athletes said um, uh, Brittany Griner, Billie Jean King, who are all for letting uh, transit, uh, all for letting these men who are transitioning to being a female play pro sports, play college sports. That is more inclusive. Martina Navratilova, Riley Gaines, just two examples of people sober enough to understand that's ridiculous. Yeah. And a year ago, when this really made national news with Leah Thomas, who was born, Will Thomas, who calls himself a woman now, who competes against females in the swimming pool. We had several females who competed against him speak to us anonymously at OutKick and say, we're voiceless in all this, that the administrators and the coaches, they don't care. They're telling us to pretty much just go in the locker room, change naked, get to this guy, and if we don't like it, to bow out of sports, bow out of our sports, meaning female athletics. And as I wrote in a piece this week, Leah Thomas is the avatar of this movement, but he's certainly not the extent. Just last week, an 18-year-old male who now calls himself transgender, Brian, went into a locker room with four freshman girls, took his clothes off, and started showering naked next to them. I mean, just say that out loud. So for anybody to argue that, I I just find it to be, are they doing it for political advantage? Because if an 18-year-old male is in a school showering with four freshman girls, I mean, in any other era, we would consider that a major issue. No doubt about it. Uh, now, how do you feel about switching over to 2024? Donald Trump has a 36-point lead on Ron DeSantis, who has yet to get in the race, but he's the only one in double figures. Uh, uh, Nikki Haley and others still in single digits. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, single digits, but moving up. He's going to go on CNN for a town hall with Caitlin Collins. What's your reaction? Yeah, I was surprised when I saw that, I believe, Monday, just because of how much Donald Trump has bashed CNN and how much CNN has bash Donald Trump. But it's really not all that surprising when you start to think about it, because if you go back to 2015, when we learned that Donald Trump was a serious candidate and he was eventually elected president, CNN was almost his biggest advocate. They did it inadvertently, but they covered him every day and I think really put him on the map as a serious presidential candidate. They covered him fairly initially, fairly initially. Absolutely. I mean, you had Anderson Cooper and Jake Tapper actually cover him like most candidates, not like they do now. 
Well, certainly things have changed now. As of now, nobody's watching CNN, so I don't know how much viewers this is going to get. I mean, it's obviously going to be as high as it's been in a long time because Trump is on, but I don't know it's going to reach the amount of people that it would a couple of years ago because of CNN. But you're absolutely right. I think Trump knows that as well. If there's any chance that maybe under new leadership that CNN will cover him fairly or more fairly than they have, that's a huge vote of confidence for Donald Trump. If he needs it, because as you said, the polls mm. seem to say that he is the heavy, heavy frontrunner to win the Republican nominee come 2024. See if he can win the general. Uh, we'll find out if Ron DeSantis is going to be formidable or not shortly. The other big story, and it's going to help Greg Gutfeld, is there's a writer strike. And uh, all the late night shows are basically shut down. I know uh, Jimmy Fallon is getting backlash because they had the meeting to announce that the writers aren't going to get paid when they're not working. Why should they get paid? That's called a strike. But Jimmy Fallon wasn't there to give the news. So people are on him. Do you think the networks are kind of glad not to write those checks? They can just run repeats? Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, Stephen Colbert? Yeah, this is an amazing story because late night – I wrote about this a week ago. Late night is instilled in the fiber of American culture. Johnny Carson, Jay Leno, David Letterman, these are icons of American culture. But the people on broadcast TV purporting to be comedians now from Colbert, Fallon to Kimmel – Nobody watches these guys. Nobody likes them. It was reported in the L.A. Magazine. Some of these late-night shows, Brian, are losing as much as $15 million a year. Yeah, $15 million a year. Ad revenue has plummeted while the salaries for the host and writers continue to rise. So late-night TV, outside of Gutfeld and maybe Bill Maher, is no longer a sustainable business. So I think this is a story to watch, not only as far as when do the writers come back, but how much longer do these networks invest into clearly a financially in-net business plan that is late-night TV in 2023. Now, James Corden's gone. And they're not going to fill his slot with another talk show. Maybe that's an indication that they're not seeing a lot of upside, regardless of what you might think of the quality. Yeah, it's almost, I mean, they're almost like a taxi service at this point where I think there's some people who still use it to consume it, but they have been replaced by much more interesting venues, which is whether it be YouTube or podcasts, but nobody's watching these people anymore. I mean, Gutfeld just beat them last week on, on cable when they're on broadcast TV and far more homes. I mean, the entire late night industry is just broken and fractured. And I think it comes down to this. The CEOs of these companies have prioritized making these shows political and no longer catering to the average folk. I mean, I used to remember 10, 15 years ago staying up late to listen to these guys because they interviewed people I liked. They were funny. I haven't watched Colbert, Fallon, and Kimmel in years because there's no reason to. Essentially, they are an extension of the MSNBC's New York Times, except they call themselves comedians, except nobody's laughing. Interesting. Elon Musk spoke to Bill Maher yesterday or two days ago, excuse me, Friday night. And here's what he said about uh, what's going, why he's doing what he's doing in this country. By the way, Bill Maher was extremely fair with him. A lot of people are attacking him because he bought uh, he bought Twitter and then exposed all the bias that was taking place there. Here he is talking about free speech. Cut 30. 
in many parts of the world, including parts of the world that people might think are relatively similar to the United States, the, the speech laws are draconian. England is quite different. I won't name any country. Uh, <laughs> why, why, why are we protecting them? They have no First Amendment. It's very easy to prove I, libel in England. Whereas I, here, it's I, I love to, England. But, yeah, you uh, too. But, but I, I wouldn't want to say the wrong thing. You could be sued easier in France, I think, if you deny the Holocaust, which I think is abhorrent, but I also think it should be part of free speech. Right. You can be thrown into jail. I like, really can't emphasize this enough. We, we, must, we must protect free speech. Um, and free speech only matters. It's only relevant when it's someone you don't like saying something you don't like. Because obviously, <laughs> speech that you like is uh, yes. you know, that's easy. The thing about censorship is that for those who would advocate it, um, just remember, at some point, that will be turned on you. And Silicon Valley, hopefully they're not going to be in the tank for whoever the Democratic candidate is. But you have to expect it, all except Twitter. And, you know, he's trying to make the model work. Final thought, Bobby, they've only had one year of profitability. Do you think he's going to emerge out of this and make it work? I don't know. I mean, you look at what's going on with Twitter Blue. It seems like the business plan is to get people to subscribe. I, I'm skeptical enough people are going to do that. But I want to say real quick, you're so right. I mean, there was a report in the New York Times this morning that in 2018 that Facebook internally made priority number one to get Barack Obama elected. So come 2024, even if the Democrats don't have Twitter on their side, yeah. they still have Facebook, Google, TikTok, all the other ones. And I don't think Twitter can offset that by themselves. And that Bobby, is so unfortunate for the voters. Bobby Brack, read them on Outkick, outkick.com. Thanks, Bobby. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. You said yesterday that when it comes to illegal migration, you've seen it come down by more than 90%. Where did that number come from? It was, I was speaking. Is telling us the number is I hear you. I'm about to answer. I'm about, I'm about to answer you. So if, you, if, you if the dramatics could come down just a little bit. I, um, it, it, the dramatics could come down a little what's bit. What's dramatic about asking a question about. Okay, I'm, I'm going to answer. So I was speaking to the parolee program. As you know, the president put in place a parolee program to deal with, uh, to deal with certain countries uh, on, on ways that we can limit illegal migration. And we have seen, the data has shown us that it has gone down by more than 90%. That was what I was speaking and to. So here's no. the thing. The parolee program was inaccurately portrayed. The day before, she just said border crossings are down 90%. The parolee programs, four countries, Nicaragua, Venezuela, uh, Cuba and Haiti, and they said if you come from those countries, apply from the first country you touch, not ours. Don't come to the border, and then if we'll if you qualify, we'll fly you in. And it stopped migration. It went from uh, two seventy five to one fifty, and then it went back up to one ninety five after one month being down. And now it's up to full blast again. We haven't gotten the April numbers, so totally inaccurate. But what struck me is. He's talking in normal voice, Peter Ducey. He's just just delaying a message. She cuts him off and said, stop the dramatics. And I'm saying to myself, what does that remind me of? I mean, sometimes when people just say, why are you getting excited? You're not getting excited. You said, why? What do you mean? Then you get excited because they keep accusing you of being excited when you're not. And you just heard Peter Ducey was not excited. It reminded me of anger management. Adam Sandler next to Jack Nicholson, who has the anger management problem. He's on a flight. And by the way, the woman is... Is Stephen, um, who's uh, who's in the office? Oh, Steve Carell. Steve Carell's wife. This is Steve Carell's wife. So listen to this exchange. It's exactly what reminds me of Peter Ducey. 
Could I maybe get that headset, please? Do not raise your voice to me, sir. I wasn't raising my voice. Okay, just calm down. I am calm. I just want my headset. Sir, our country is going through a very difficult time right now, and if you're not going to cooperate... Oh, no, I'm going to cooperate. My plan is to get the headset from you, watch the movie, and laugh in a very cooperative way. Is there a problem here, sir? I, I don't think so. Can you come to the back of the plane with me so we can have a talk? A talk about what? There's not a problem. The flight attendant keeps ignoring me when I ask... Calm down. I am calm. What is it with you people? You people. Oh, now, wait a minute. I don't mean you people. I mean you people. Sir, I will not tolerate any racist behavior on the plane. This is a very difficult time for our country. I, I know that. I'm not a racist. I just want to watch the movie. I'm only going to say this one more time, sir. Calm down. I'm calm! So I just thought, didn't it remind you of that? It's a perfect analogy. Thank you very much. So Jackie Heinrich is here from the White House. Jackie, I don't know if you caught that whole piece, but when I was watching Peter Ducey, them saying, calm down, stop with the dramatics, when he wasn't raising his voice, I thought of that scene. <laughs> I, I did see uh, see that part. You know, it's it just, I don't know how they, they can make the claims that they do and then claim that they're consistent. You know, we, we're hearing, for instance, that they're, you know, the system is working and that there's no crisis and, you know, this is all just dramatics. And yet we've got 1,500 troops headed to the border, active duty, you know, 90-day deployment. Um, of course, they're going to be in a limited role there assisting Border Patrol just because of the limitations set on, you know, the U.S. government uh, doing law enforcement duties against Americans, you know, it, within the, the country uh, without an act of Congress. But, you know, that being said, this is a step beyond anything that the administration's done before. And remember when former President Trump tried to send 5,200 troops to fortify the border, you had Democrats calling it political, railing against it, um, former military officials raising concerns that it would impact readiness, which the Pentagon is saying in this instance would not be the case. So it's just a, a bit hypocritical to hear, you know, the, them downplaying it on one side yeah. and then taking these actions on the other. Um, I guess she anticipated that because people were writing 90, the border crossing is down 90 percent. How is that? And as I mentioned, it's those four countries. And it was initially down. We haven't gotten the April numbers yet, but the numbers are ticking up. What was your reaction when you heard they were putting 1,500 troops down there? And do you have any idea why they wouldn't use National Guard? I did not know that our troops could be deployed in our country. Well, so there there are some laws against that, which is why they're going to be in essentially like a, a paper pushing role. Um, the troops that are going down are, are going to be doing, you know, assistance and processing and, um, you know, at looking at materials and accountability and, and that kind of thing. Um, this is not the, you know, action to, to fortify the border. They're not going to be stopping people from coming in that a lot of critics wanted. But I do think that um, – you know, my read on it was, well, what are Democrats saying? Because if you look back to when the former president tried to do this very same thing a couple of years ago, you had Democrats sounding off, you know, losing, losing their heads over it. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, how does this sit with Joe Biden's base? And I've, I'm surprised that we haven't seen more pushback on it. But, you know, of course, when the troops head down there next Wednesday, uh, we, we might see more people complaining. Right. I, I do want to get to the report with happened in Ukraine, maybe a drone strike uh, targeting uh, Vladimir Putin, but I want you to hear what Kristen Cinema said last night. You know, an independent got elected as a Democrat. Uh, here is cut one. The administration has known for two years that the end of Title 42 is coming. It was never intended to be a long-term solution. And James and I together, um, as the chair and, and 
top uh, ranking member of the border subcommittee in the Senate, have been calling on the administration to prepare for the end of Title 42. Unfortunately, Brett, I'm sad to tell you that they haven't done it. They have not prepared for the end of Title 42, which comes in just a week and a half. It's incredible. You remember Haiti made everybody pay attention when those Haitians were under the bridge and you guys had the drones. Uh, Bill Malusian had the drones. Do you think this is going to be another situation where other networks are going to be forced to report this because the number is going to be so overwhelming? Well, I, I do. I mean, I, I think that they're going to be hard pressed to ignore it because you're going to be seeing, you know, such great numbers if everything that's been forecasted ends up playing out. Um, and, you know, the administration has admitted that they're not prepared. They pushed this date back. Um, you know, they're the ones that asked DOJ to push it back and admitted, you know, we don't have a plan in place. And the reason they gave at the time was that, you know, the, the discussion about when and if Title 42 would end stopped their planning, which I think is, you know, a pretty weak, uh, you know, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. If you're, you guys are the ones trying to, you know, end Title 42, just because there's an effort to stop your effort doesn't mean that you shouldn't be preparing as well. But they've admitted before that they weren't ready. And we still have not seen, you know, the fully fleshed out plan uh, that they all said would be in place by the time this ultimately happened. Um, you know, this step, sending 1,500 troops down there, is sort of the first visible evidence that they are really getting ready for it. But, you know, what has this administration done, um, you know, in advance of, of this huge surge? I don't I haven't seen anything in the you know recent weeks except for this action, which, by the way, they just sort of laid the groundwork for last Thursday. The president, you know, sending an executive order that would ready reserve troops, they said at the time for a you know, drug enforcement um, role. But, you know, that that allowed th these next steps to be taken. And, you know, that just was last week. And now we're looking at less than two weeks later, Title 42 goes away. There should have been a, a lot more movement leading up to this point. Yeah, you would think. Uh, Jack, you even, are you working today? I am. Okay, good. Because I'm a lot of time. From work. <laughs> are, are you at the White House? I am. I'm in the basement, oh, okay. in my lair. You're in that small little area? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But my, everyone's my got a small area. Right? Yeah, we do. I'm going to see what I can do about that. Um, Thank you. Maybe you can sublet something from Vox, I don't know, or Vice, <laughs> because I don't think they're using it anymore. Um, so, so this is the report. Now, I read about something like this last week. I don't know mm -hmm. if it's the same report coming out with just video, but the U.S. is still gathering facts about an alleged drone incident that was supposed to target the Kremlin and Vladimir Putin. So the video is out there that shows something going on. Uh, the Secretary of State is pushing back on it at this hour, uh, and so is the Ukrainian, uh, as they always do. Uh, Ukraine is denying that they targeted Putin in a Kremlin drone strike. So what are we to make of this? Well, you, you heard Blinken say, you know, State Department's aware of the reports. They are not able to validate them at this point. They don't know, but they also warn in the very same breath, take anything coming out of the Kremlin with a very large grain of salt. Um, you know, there's obviously concern that Russia is trying to set up a pretext for some sort of a, an attack on Ukraine or maybe an attempt on Zelensky. And we saw a similar uh, report come out of Russia uh, last week. I think it was April 27th. Um, you know, they claimed through a I think Russia, a German newspaper reported that uh, Ukrainian Secret Service launched a, a drone that was loaded with explosives and it, it went down. And now you've got this video out there. Um, obviously, the Ukrainians are forcefully denying this. And we did learn from U.S. officials here that you know, the U.S. had no indication in advance that something like this would happen and, and no knowledge of it. So um, 
that would be something that if, you know, if Ukraine was was trying to plan something, you would right. think that the U.S. would probably be pretty closely involved. So there, U.S. officials are warning everyone, you know, watch what you're seeing on Twitter and from Russian media right. very skeptically. Because you want to try to unify people for the fight where it looks like the Russians have lost 80,000 people. Uh, that means many more casualties, people that just left the battlefield but are banged up and alive. So you wonder now they're, they're hunting down people that are trying to dodge the draft. So uh, good luck what's happening in Russia. The other thing to keep in mind is that the report came out last night that when this leaker let go of all this intelligence, including details of how the Ukrainians were going to go about their surge attack, Zelensky found out about it by reading the Washington Post. He never got a call from the Secretary of Defense or President Biden saying, hey, this is big leak. Your battle plan's out there. The Russians have been able to digest it for weeks. Have you been able to verify that? I mean, no one's really pushing back on that. You know, we we haven't had that question posed directly to anyone here at the White House, so I, I can't say, you know, with any certainty whether there have been communications specifically with Ukraine. But we've heard, you know, John Kirby and other members of the administration saying that they are having conversations with, you know, appropriate parties, allies and partners who were implicated in these leaks. Um, and what we've heard when the president's been questioned about the nature of those conversations, because no U.S. official wants to go beyond what's being said, you know, we're always told that there's an investigation at hand. So we get the sense that what the U.S. is telling our allies is you know, we don't know much about these leaks, the the uh, validity of you know what's being detailed in these documents, how old they are, the significance of them. But we're in telling all everyone who was in, in, implicated in some way that we're investigating and you know reassuring our partners that you know the big the bigger damage I think that was done was um, this revelation that the U.S. might be keeping tabs on its allies, and so I think that was where they were really focusing all of their diplomacy right. on repairing those relationships. I would have I would have dealt with the war. Excuse me, the Russians might know exactly yeah. what you're up to, but that's me. Yeah. I haven't been asked to run a country yet, but it could be on my voicemail. I, when I'm doing the show, a lot of times people will give me that position. Um, <laughs> Alexi McMahon, McMahon on MSNBC said this about what's happening behind the scenes as Biden uh, rejiggers for a run at four more years. Cut 38. President Biden's re-election campaign is off to a relatively slow start, and we know that he just officially launched last week. But when you look at his predecessor, former President Barack Obama, and his re-election campaign in 2012, or even look at his rival, Donald Trump, launching his campaign six months ago, Biden's start so far has been slow in, in many different measures. He said he would report fundraising numbers two days after he launched. That hasn't happened yet. He's only hired two full-time staffers so far. The campaign manager, one of those people, isn't supposed to start until the middle of this month. And they they have an interesting relationship with the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, which is so far kind of running this organization for the campaign, putting ads up on TV when at this same time in 2012, it was Obama's proper campaign that was putting ads up on TV. And so all this matters, you know, not just for the organization of this campaign, but because it gives Mm. Biden's foils on the right an opportunity to attack him for his age to say that he's slowing down, that he's hiding. So have uh, do you have similar reports? And when I, when I saw Ron Klain leave and Susan Rice, I just assumed they're going to have a major role in the reelection. Is that wrong? Well, what really strikes me is that this campaign manager that they've hired, Julie Chavez Rodriguez, 
she has not run a single campaign in her life ever before. And now you have even, you know, I was talking to a Democratic source the other night who was telling me, you know, that's a little bit disconcerting to, to us because they're looking at this as what could be the most consequential and probably the most expensive political campaign in American history. And you want someone at the helm who knows what they're doing. But then there are skeptics who say, well, what that means is that she's a figurehead and someone like Anita Dunn or someone who's been you know deeply involved in Biden world for a long time will be pulling the strings behind the curtain. Who really knows? But I think what is most clear about this campaign is you, you can look at how they what they've done so far to sort of map out how they plan to run it. You know, he announces candidacy on social media. They haven't held any public events. They did, however, release a series of ads. They did a seven-figure buy on TV and digital that was targeting suburban women, Black and Latino voters, independents. Uh, another digital ad went out in six battleground states. All the while, Biden, you know, making jokes about not needing to talk to reporters at the White House Correspondents' Dinner and, um, you know, flouting his sort of um, hostility to traditional media. So they're really sending the message that they don't think they need the press and that they think they can win this election online where they have, you know, a strong digital advantage. And they're they're pulling on the same themes that worked for them in 2020 and in the 2022 midterms. They've you know, shown us this is all going to be about mega Republican extremism, Trump and abortion. The only real thing that we know they're trying to refresh right now is the VP's image amid all these concerns about the president's age. We had a source telling Fox that there's a big effort to have her more visible, like out in front. We saw her prominently featured in Biden's reelection video. And now she's apparently going to be getting some winnable issues moving away from those unwinnable issues like the border that have been mm-hmm. a, a drag on her image. And so that's really sort of what all we know is being retooled right now, but we're all in the dark about when he plans to hit the ground running and even if he will. Yeah, what I'm going to try to do is get you a get you a cell phone for Drew Barrymore. She had the last interview with the president. Maybe she got some information. Um, yeah, either that or Jason Bateman. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, thanks so much. Jackie Heinrich, have a great day. Thanks. You too, Brian. Uh, and my audience, thanks you for your uh, White House insight because we need some. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Your call's next. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I do believe, and I've said this before, that AI is going to replace many clerical white-collar jobs, and that's the kind which I expect AI will replace over the next five years. But it's not as simple as jobs go away. The number of jobs, though, perhaps in customer care, in coding, in business process, in developing artificial intelligence, is going to increase so much that the net increase is going to be positive while there's a movement from one area to the other. And that, by the way, has been the nature of technology for 250 years. It takes away in some areas, but gives better in others. That's the CEO of IBM and saying some of these jobs will go away. I understand that. To me, if AI makes jobs go away, I don't relish it, but sometimes you have to pivot. The economy changes. I mean, if you are, uh, I use this, I use this analogy on Fox and Friends. If you're a blacksmith, you know, we stop using horses you know, if you make horseshoes, it's going to be an issue because you have cars. Uh, things change. You make horse carriages. All of a sudden, we're doing cars. Things change. You know, if things change, uh, and we do embrace the electric car, and we find a way to bring some uh, some of the 
rare earth here and we make our own batteries and, and all of a sudden you're a gas car, you got to get out of that business. And that's what happens. But what I'm really worried about is when the people that invented it say that it's very easy to understand how it could get totally out of control and that the fact is China has their own industry and they're not looking for input. But don't worry, Vice President Harris is meeting with AI leaders today. Thank goodness. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm so glad you're here. I come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, around the country, around the world. Did you see the almost comical statement from Mayor Adams yesterday, the day before, published yesterday, and clarified, didn't really help, that the reason why... So many migrants, illegal immigrants being sent from Texas into New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, and Los Angeles is because Governor Abbott is doing it only to black mayors. Does it have anything to do with sanctuary cities? Does it have anything to do with the number of illegal immigrants coming, overwhelming that state, and then putting them on buses and sending them to the place where, which greets them in open arms, many of which they actually want to come to? But that has to be racist. And it just diminishes anybody's call when they say, you know, when real racism happens and needs to be addressed, it, people are just going to have a deaf ear to it because they see idiotic statements like this. How could you possibly mean that? If de Blasio was here, you're going to tell me that Governor Abbott would not be sending illegal immigrants to stay here for free, free room and board, uh, create havoc in the city, by the way, cost $434 million uh, by the end of the year. Uh, let's bring in Carl Rove. Uh, Carl Rove needs no introduction, but you can see his Wall Street Journal column. Uh, he used to work for George W. Bush. He used to get dental as well as full health benefits when he was at the White House. Now he's doing his own thing. I, I don't remember the dental thing. I don't remember the dental thing, but, but, but thank you. Did you get? You are employed by the federal government, though. You have great insurance when you were at the White House. Uh, I did. I did. You know what's interesting about uh, your mayor? Remember where these people are coming from. These people are being dumped in communities like Eagle Pass and Laredo and Far yeah. and Edinburgh and Brownsville and uh, Del Rio, heavily Hispanic communities. So right now they are overwhelming the hospitals where the, where they're dumped for un, for uncompensated care by the by the federal by federal officials. There they are the food kitchens and the social service safety nets are stretched. Law enforcement with the getaways are the people who who are not caught by law enforcement by border patrol are 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 are, are desperate people who need water, food, shelter, and and as a result, a lot of petty crime. These are heavily Hispanic communities that are being devastated stated by the failure of the federal government to enforce our border. And so what is uh what is what does the mayor have to say about that, these heavily Hispanic communities? Are they racist too? I mean it's just it's crazy. It, 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 you know he's he's done he's done some sensible things, but that was a really stupid thing to say. Uh, yeah, and it just diminishes everything else that he was saying and he did call out yeah. In fact, do we have that Eric? From last hour, here's the president, uh, excuse me, the mayor calling out the president earlier about half this this little speech is valid and the second half is just get get rid of it listen it is the irresponsibility of the Republican Party in Washington for refusing to do real immigration reform. And it's the irresponsibility of the White House for not uh, addressing this problem. We should not be burdening the weight of this problem. And so it's not about the people who are, su- who are pursuing the American dream. 
uh, uh, comprehensive well, immigration reform is never going to happen, and it's not going to happen until well, you, you see the border. Maybe, maybe you ought to get a little history lesson, because the guy who killed comprehensive immigration reform in 2007 was Senator Harry Reid, Democrat leader of the U.S. Senate, who gutted the bipartisan effort put together by George W. Bush, John McCain, and Ted Kennedy by, by having – by, by, in essence, using his power under an obscure rule called 14B to limit the number of amendments to that bill. And then he specified four amendments that could be voted on, all of which were killer amendments designed to gut comprehensive immigration reform. And one of the guys voting to gut comprehensive immigration reform who'd promised to support the McCain-Kennedy-Bush plan was Barack Obama, the freshman senator, following the lead of his, of his leader, the majority leader of the Senate, Harry Reid. So maybe... Uh, before blaming the Republicans, uh, the mayor ought to go back and get his history lesson right, and put the blame where it deserves, which is on the, the on the on the now uh, the, the 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 head of the now departed Harry Reid and the Democrat Senate caucus that he led. Yeah, I mean, basically, they didn't want to go to conference either, right? No, they they wanted to kill it. So you know, take the guest worker program out and gut it. You know, take the high tech thing out and gut it. I mean, it was all designed very artfully to make it so so unpalatable that all this coalition that was coming together of high tech and agriculture and immigration proponents and people who wanted to restrict the the the, the provisions allowing you know distant members of your family, your cousin, to come over, uh, all of all of those went 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 by the wayside because Harry Reid decided he didn't want, he wanted to keep. Keep it alive as a political issue. He didn't want a Republican president working with Democrats and Republicans to solve the problem. So I was getting all excited that May 9th that they were going to probably make some real progress on the debt ceiling because it's going to hit it June 1st. And the president, I think, goes away May 20th, uh, goes on some international uh, conference. So I get this quote today in Axios. Uh, when McCarthy comes to the White House, I guess if he needs to hear again that it's your responsibility to adjust the death ceiling without conditions and a ransom, then he can say that again to his face. That according to a senior Biden administration official. So he's going to walk in there, say, "He, what do you think about my plan? And the president's going to say, I'm not looking at your plan. I'm going to just raise the debt ceiling. I will not negotiate on it. Is that really how this ends? You've been through this so many times. Well, look, I don't know how it's going to end, but I do know this. The responsible party is the Speaker of the House, who was, a, who was challenged by the White House to offer a plan and did. did. And it passed the U.S. House of Representatives. The only plan that has passed either the House or Senate that solves this problem is the one that passed the House. And what it does is it raises the debt ceiling for a year and it makes spending cuts. And what are those spending cuts? The biggest ones are reclaiming the unspent COVID relief money. The, the, COVID is over. That, that pandemic has now been declared. That emergency has now been declared over. So why don't we take the hundreds of billions of dollars that's sitting out there that is, that is yet unspent and recover it? Another thing is to put institute work requirements. If you're getting a social service benefit, a welfare benefit from the government, you need to be either working or looking for work. We had a big bipartisan consensus on that in the 90s, and it lasted for nearly 30 years. And now this administration says, no, we don't want to require people who are getting a check from the government to have to work or look for work. And, and you know, this is amazing. Let's step back a minute and think about this. We are being lectured by President Joseph R. Biden, who voted 10 times during the President Reagan's administration, President Bush 41's administration, and President Bush 43's administration, not to raise the debt ceiling. He's saying if you don't raise the debt ceiling, you're, de- you're dealing 
You're, you're do, dealing, doing de- great damage to the good faith and credit of the American dollar. And he did it 10 times. And then in 2011, he was the vice president of the United States, designated by President Barack Obama to negotiate a settlement, an agreement to raise the debt ceiling with spending cuts, which he did. And go look at the record. There is week after week after week of self-congratulatory uh, statements by pre- vice, then Vice President Joe Biden about how good it was for the country that Republicans and Democrats came together to simultaneously raise the debt ceiling and put in place some spending restraint that helped reduce the deficit. So why not be that guy? Don't be the guy who voted 10 times not to raise the debt ceiling. Don't be the guy who today hypocritically is saying that if you don't vote to to raise the debt ceiling, you are doing great damage to our economy. That's true. But you did it 10 times. So please don't lecture us about that. Don't tell us that you were bad behavior and should be excused. And people who vote against raising the debt ceiling today are guilty of a mortal sin. Uh, Carl Rove, our guest. Carl, I want to pivot, if I can, to 2024. And that has a lot to do with what we just discussed, too, and where the economy is at. And the president, I think, in the latest poll, has got 38 percent approval rating. So he's obviously sucking wind. He does not have a lot of momentum for his reelection, but he wants to tell everyone he's not Donald Trump. First off, when it comes to Republicans, if you look at what they did in passing that debt ceiling deal uh, on the right, they're on a bit of a roll. And then, of course, getting Jim Justice to declare in West Virginia, who's up on Joe Manchin by 20 points, and who knows what's going to happen in Maryland. Here's Ronna McDaniel on some pickups in the Senate. Tell me if you think this is, is hype or real. Cut 31. I would add Nevada to that as well, where we had, you know, three statewide races that we won last cycle in 2022 and some of the biggest gains we've seen for Republicans. But you just saw in West Virginia, the governor just announced uh, against Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin hasn't announced yet. We've got great candidates in Montana. I think Ohio is very, very much in play. And there are about eight seats that Democrats have up that we can compete for. This is an exceptional Senate map for Republicans where we can take back the reins of power. Is she she just thinking optimistically or is this legitimate? I think it's legitimate. Look, uh, think about this. The Democrats have um, incumbents up in Montana, West Virginia and Ohio, all of which the Republicans have carried either in the case of the first two, the last six presidential elections in a row, or in the case of Ohio, four out of the last six. And that state is getting more red. I mean, think about it. The Republican governor was reelected uh, last fall by uh, with 25 percent of the vote. Uh, excuse me, a 25 percent margin. And the rest of the Republican ticket, with the exception of the U.S. Senate candidate, the you know attorney general, the, the auditor, the secretary of state, all won by between 18 and 24 points. So that state's red. So they got they got a problem. They they they've, they've got a problem in in those three states. Then you take Nevada, where uh, where uh, Biden won a narrow victory, and the state is now the registration rolls are getting more Republican. And then you take some of these other you know Wisconsin, a close race, Pennsylvania, uh, a close race. I mean we 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 could have a couple of other states uh, come into play. If you look at it, there are nine Democratic seats that are at risk. Three of them very much so, and there's not a single Republican seat today that is risk because we're talking about states. I think the last time that of the uh, the Republicans were up this year, I think the last time we lost it in a presidential election year was 1996. And in most cases, that you have to go back to 1964 before we lost the state. Take that, That's Wyoming. Uh, so we're in good shape. 
we've got a we got less than half as many seats up as they do, and their seats are up in places that are either red. A lot of them are up in places that are deep red or or trending red, and uh, and that Republicans have won in previous statewide races. So right now, uh, Donald Trump in the CBS poll that just came out, about two thousand people, likely voters. Uh, it has Donald Trump up by 36 points on Ron DeSantis, and he's the only one in double figures. What do you read into that, being that we just we're in the early May? Well, I'd be very careful about it. Uh, you know, he's ahead, and he's he's running a better campaign. He has uh, Susie Wiles, Chris Lasavita. He has uh, John Braybender. These are very good professionals who've been able to put some discipline and focus into the campaign. We'll see how long they last. But he's running a better campaign this time around. But uh, he's got some great vulnerabilities, and nobody really knows who the rest of this field is. Let's not kid ourselves. No, you know, he's well known. He's at the he's at the top of where he's likely to be, and uh, and 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 he would benefited from the stupid indictment in in New York by by the DA. But, you know, to go talk to Mayor Rudy Giuliani, who was ahead at this point in 2008. Go talk to Newt Gingrich, who 30 days before the uh, vote started being cast in Iowa was in the lead in 2012. Go talk to Jeb Bush, who was ahead at this point in 2015. So long way to go. Uh, and 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 the, the the former president, to my mind, has some 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 real some real problems there. 23 percent of Republicans think that the uh, that the indictment in New York was justified. Now, I, you know, this is an indictment that has won criticism from legal experts on the right and left as being convoluted and uh, and, and and illegitimate. And yet one out of every four Republicans says it was justified that he got indicted uh, over alleged payments to a porn star. So, you know, this is not he, he's got a long way to go right now. He's the favorite. We'll see where he is in January and February of 2024. And I think that you'll be able to tell if Donald Trump is in it to win it because he's got to pick up people he didn't get last time on his rallies. If he opens up his rallies, looking ahead, comparing his record, talking about his vision, as opposed to January 6, 2020, I was robbed. Uh, if he started looking ahead, I would say this is I would think that this uh, he's dead set on winning this. He knows a formula. Yeah. Yeah, well, that means he needs to stop, uh, you know, appearing with people who've been found guilty of, of of breaking into the Capitol on January 6th with the intent to end a constitutionally mandated joint session of the United States Congress like he did in New Hampshire recently. I mean, here's a guy who sits down for dinner with a bunch of white nationalists, bigots, and now uh, shows up in, in, in New Hampshire, I think it was, and throws his arm around a woman who has been found guilty of breaking into the Capitol and extols her and says, you've been treated badly. Now, anybody who broke into the United States Capitol had to cross a police line, and those police lines were smashed by hundreds of demonstrators engaging in active violence against police officers and violating the, the, the law. And, and here is the former president of the United States saying, you've been treated badly. He has an obligation to uphold the Constitution of the United States and its laws. And to sit there and say that somebody who broke into the Capitol in order to and, and threatened to kill, I think, uh, Vice President Pence is, is not somebody worthy of the former president's you know, uh, uh, grace and, and, and consolation. I hear you. Um, absolutely. For Ron DeSantis, he comes back from his foreign trip. He comes back from his trip to Washington. Uh, what advice would you give him? Well, he's, you know, uh, he's in a thing where he better where, where he better realize he needs to get better or, 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 you know, none of these people are prepared and none of them are 
No candidate running for president is as good on their first day as they need to be. And the question is, do they learn from that experience? And I, and I th frankly, just the day before he left for for uh, Korea, I think it was his first foreign stop, he was in New Hampshire. And I, I read the coverage carefully. I thought it was very smart. He clearly didn't sit at the head table and eat his meal. Instead, he worked the tables beforehand, went from table to table saying hello to people before the dinner, gave a heck of a speech. The speech is interrupted by protesters. He handles it with great aplomb and humor. He finishes his speech. There's raucous applause, biggest fundraiser in the history of the New Hampshire Republican Party, raising nearly $400,000 for the state party in this little state. And when he finishes, he spends an hour lingering in the ballroom, taking selfies with people, exchanging small talk, giving autographs, right. throwing his arm around people. That's exactly what he gotcha. needs to do. Carl, you're the Absolutely. best. I love the insight. I, I love the knowledge. Carl Rove, uh, no wonder we made you full-time. Thank you. Thank right. you. Right. I'm at your beck and call. <laughs> Good. I'm calling you every day. Back in a moment. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back. We had a couple of minutes here um, just to go over some things. So I don't know if you've seen that ad. I discussed in a previous hour about the Navy, uh, their ad now, digital ad. It shows Yeoman Second Class uh, Kelly, who is serving in full uniform and then transforms into a woman. Uh, Harpy Daniels in drag. So one of five digital ambassadors to try to show Gen Z recruiting audience that they can serve with honor and also have private interests. Oh, good. How about, you know, private interests could be you could collect stamps. I mean, you could watch sports. Uh, you could play pickleball. Uh, I just don't know, understand who you're trying to attract and understand, too, like the people at Budweiser. I'm not putting that. You do whatever you want in your private life. But if you want to get uh, fighting, uh, you want to build a formidable fighting force. You have to understand other people who are thinking about joining, more people are turned off by seeing somebody serve and do drag as opposed to somebody with uh, face paint on, uh, on uh, ser running serpentine through the deserts of Somalia, trying to fight for American freedom and free hostages. That's why, why people join. They don't join so they can say, I'll be free to wear a uniform during the day and do drag at night. If that is a case of somebody who serves well, that's an aberration. I mean, who are you? Are you that desperate? You feel as though we don't have enough trans in the military? Somebody should push back there that has a degree in marketing. If your goal is to maximize recruitment, why don't you do things that would maximize recruitment? That's not it. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, uh, we are back. And just be, uh, I, I just feel assured. I was worried about the AI thing. That are we ready as a country to adapt to the challenges that AI has? And I was just going over that with Eric uh, in the break. And I said, we can rest assured, even though Elon Musk is worried, and even though the uh, the CEO of Google, I think, is Eric Schmidt. He's worried. The CEO of IBM talks about the the titanic transformation of our economy. But I just found out good news, Bill Hammer. Yeah, please give it to me. How are you, by the way? The vice president is in charge. She oh, is oh, going to land awesome. that plane. 
She's okay. going to be landing that plane. Could AI solve the border crisis? I'm not sure. Could <laughs> AI uh, help us with our relations in Beijing? Right. She was brilliant in Munich, by the way. Could AI help solve the uh, Ukrainian war? I Wow. Right. This I, is, I, that might put a lot of people out of, out of jobs. Right now they're meeting. Right now they're meeting with all the heads. Uh-huh. Uh, so to find out. Have you ever seen something that has more smart people intimidated? <laughs> right? I mean, the smartest that's people re- in the country. That's a really interesting way to say it. There's this podcast I listened to two weeks ago. It's called All In. I think most of the guys are California-based, Silicon Valley, tech world, venture capitalists. And, I mean, it went on forever. But it was really fascinating that they were so blown away by how much AI had progressed in the last five days of the recording of this podcast. They were blown away by it. Because they thought they had like 50 so, years to so, worry about them so taking I'm, us over. I'm thinking, what's happened over the last two weeks? I know. Uh, it, it. I find it astounding. So if people like, let's say, Henry Kissinger, he's 100 years old. Uh-huh. I'm worried about this AI. No kidding, you're 100 years old. You know, Brian Kilmey, uh, you know. Uh, you know, that's your whole generation. You, you guys need to have social media. I'm a little intimidated. But when Elon Musk is, is, goes, wow, yeah. I, I had to leave it. We don't, I don't speak to the guy, my partner. Now I might have to start my own in order not to be evil. And we see that China is circling the wagons around whatever they're doing with AI because they're concerned about something different. They don't want their people to know mm-hmm. everything that AI would give them. Like so they've they, got to lock it down. Absolutely. That's how they, that's how they run the TikTok operation. I, I, that's a great point. I don't know how they're going to figure that out. Um, I think about AI and how it could be practically used by you and me. And just yesterday, right, you know, we're sitting around. We're talking with our team from America's Newsroom. And <clears throat> one of the really smart folks on our team says, I use AI or ChatGPT, right? Chat, by the way, ChatGPT is how AI talks to each other. So it's like AI on steroids. That's how I characterize it. So she uses ChatGPT to summarize Andy McCarthy's articles when he's analyzing a big legal issue. So how would, read so give, me, give me the question? Uh, like the question to give to Chad? Because uh, I, I, I downloaded it. I don't know what that is. I've logged the, on as well. Is tell, so probably summarize Kevin McCarthy's last speeches no, over the last no, 30 seconds. No, uh, that, we should talk about Andy McCarthy. Lord. Oh, Andy McCarthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. SDNY, former SDNY, et cetera. And then another smart person on our team said, I've got a wedding coming up, and I'm looking for ideas for my speech for the bridesmaid. Uh, the bride. And that you Sorry. get, would you Sister-in-law. Get? And then she, I, I said, yeah, what did it produce? It a pretty interesting poem. I said, do you mind re- <laughs> do you mind reading it to the group? She said, yeah, I will. And, you know, it was. Not great. Eight, nine. It would, it was fly, good, really it would fly. I mean, if you had a glass of champagne in your hand and you were before a room of 150, 200 people, yeah, it might fly, actually. So I, I'm, I'm just giving you two very easy examples for how you might be able to use this technology. Make sure it helps your life get better. I mean, you get up at 2.30 in the morning, right? You're right. coming in that car from uh, Massapequa, Manhattan. Limo. It's a big limo. Uh-huh, it's a right? Hummer limo. You sit in the very back, right? Yeah. I mean, you're sleeping Can't even see myself. I you, never sleep. You could use chat GPT to summarize the news on your way to the studio. Would you like that? Wow. But how do they know what I like? Uh, I mean, I would like to try it and, and see what works. So this is what uh, a Reven. By the way, I wish I wish some of these people, like Elon Musk, I could pronounce I, that I, name. I thought I just had a great idea. That's a very good idea. It was a very good idea. Continue. That would that would help my life get better. Just like, for example, Google. You could look up anything. 
on Google. That must sound astounding. That famous that famous exchange with Katie Couric and Brian Gumbel on the Today Show. Right. And they're talking about the like internet. 1993. This is crazy. Yeah. So I'll never forget. Uh, I don't know if this is going to transfer, but Dawn's parents, Dawn's family, right from Brooklyn, right uh, the generation before, right from Italy, and they're right from uh, Raging Bull. You would think they're cast from Raging Bull, uh-huh. right? Um, you're worried that I'm, I'm insulting people. I'm not. I'm just talking about their old Brooklyn accents. Yeah. They like to debate things, but they debate it at a nine. They're yelling at each other, but they're not yelling. He's wrong. He's Willie Mays was not a better center fielder. He was overrated. <laughs> that type of thing. And then the one of the nephews sat there, and everything they argued about, he would ref. He'd just come and goes, no, no, no. Uh, uh, uncle such and such is right. Such and such is no. right. And in the middle of it, they go, I hate that thing. Because they want to argue. Like uh-huh. they, they don't want their life to be that much better. But um, I want. I, what was my point? Sorry, some people so, are going to be really. Some people are not going to look to make their lives better. Some people want the old school. They don't want the social yeah, media. Yeah, I'm with that. How are you? Does the nephew Google? Or was the nephew was on Googling. AI? Okay, oh, gotcha. he was Googling. I mean, so how, that was big ten years. How ago. How great is the temptation when you're in conversation and you mention something you can't recall the exact precise fact? Every day, and you you say, "I'm going to go to my phone." Right. Just give me a minute. Yeah. I go to the iPad. I, the phone's still my my thumbs are too big. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I gotcha. did. I like the BlackBerry. I wish the BlackBerry would uh-huh. be back, but that's never coming back, is it? You know, the thing about Musk doing this is that you know he's he's got skin in the game too, and he wants to slow this oh, down. Why, please why, don't tell me you think he's being selfish. I don't know. I don't know yet. But you know, he was in the business in 2016. He got out of it. Now he's trying to get back in, and he realizes how far behind he is. I, I you know, I just. I don't think that you should, would be so insane. I don't think wow. you should so cynical. disconnect yourself from that possibility. Here's Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple, Cut 23. AI has beneficial effects in giving us like a lot of good guidance, like being a good reporter. And we humans should be the editor. There should always be a human editor. And when that's not the case, um, we're going to have a lot of problems. Um, you know, as far as, you know, AI being used to, I don't know, deep fakes, you know, making somebody sound like a person, you know, in their voice and taking advantage of, you know, a mother. Um, we've seen that recently. And, and there's going to be a lot more of that than there ever was before. Tricking you into things. Tricking's going to be a lot easier for those who want to trick you. And, uh, you know, we don't really have any, we're not really making any changes in that regard. We're just assuming that the laws we have will take care of it. So I, I'm a little, um, you know, worried that people about people being abused more than anything else. Right. So he's a little worried. So that the, was uh, from the other place, right? CNN? Yep. T.O.P., as I call it. Yeah. Um, I watched that interview. It was very interesting, I thought. Uh, he, here's my take on it now. We're, we're moving away from 4K televisions. We're moving toward 8K. And if you look at a computer-generated video, I think there's a chance that we might be – look, deep fakes, somebody's going to get busted. This is Dana Perino's biggest fear in cable TV, that she's going to be the one who rolls a deep fake and falls for it. I, I think the consumer and people like you and me are going to be visually trained to spot what is AI and what is not, especially as the image gets more and more precise on the screens that we use. I would, I would add this to it. Did you see the Wall Street Journal on Friday? They had a columnist who actually used her voice and the and the and the computer generated voice, called up her parents, 
and had their parents, called parents and said, uh, could you give me dad's social security number? That Do me a favor, could I have a bank account? And she did it with a fake voice, and the parents were unable to pick it up. That was the whole point of the article. In the Wall Street Journal, they're not really known for chicanery. Yeah, that, that stinks. Um, and that's a worry. I mean, yeah, they're already, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I'm, I'm on, I, I understand. But how about um, the fact that Donald Trump, remember those pictures generated uh, the day that Donald Trump was indicted in New York City? Mm-hmm. And had him in the middle of the street. It looked like him in a suit being yeah, arrested. I, that, that's a really good example. And they said that was trending. Yeah, but right now, I mean, if you look at those, they, they did not look real to me. Oh, they didn't? But, I mean, the, look, AI is going to get better, but our monitors are going to get better. I guess that's the case I, I worry I about being right out now. thought. Like, for example... If a comedy, these comedy writers are on strike, and part of the thing that they're going to be negotiating is AI. For example, when they get funny, if you're able to say, write me a script that would be funny for Conan O'Brien's podcast, or that might be good for, uh, might be good for Stephen Colbert, it's a skit for that. And if the AI is better than the writers he has, why is he keeping writers? Yeah, I get it. And why give him the raise and why resign them? I think it's going to be a very interesting strategy. Um, but nego- if I, but if no, I, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, negotiation right now for the writers guild, but here's the thing. Like, I think the last time they walked out was 15 years ago and they were out a hundred days. Right. Okay. I'm like, how do you bring them back right now? Do you need to bring them back? Well, they they postpone, uh, postpone late night TV for now going to be in reruns, but, but I'm going to uh, add to this. Yeah. We were, uh, Alice and I had an interesting lunch yesterday and they say the executives at these networks are in no rush to bring these guys back because right. they don't have to pay them. So not many people are watching yeah. as they were, and they could sit, take a deep breath. They don't have their production costs. The strike goes on. They run mm-hmm. repeats. It's cheap. So maybe their bottom line gets a little bit riper come summer now. So there's the leverage of, oh, my God, yeah. I don't have a new Tonight Show. Not really <laughs> pressing them. I can see so, it. So here's yeah. the other thing. Yeah. So Stephen Colbert brings back his writers. The Late Night Show. The Late Show brings back – that is The Late Show. Uh, Tonight Show brings back their writers. And then I want to start my own. I'm not even pretending to be around. I'm going to be a host, and I'm going to use AI. And my my overhead's less. My monologue's just as good. And maybe. now, yeah, and now my production is maybe more attractive for yeah. a show to buy. And maybe, so you're going to so you can pretend like you're in the horse right. and buggy. But I went I went to the jet plane. Okay, you're flying with George Jetson. Yeah, and you let the audience know. Absolutely. Oh. That's mind-blowing. I'm doing all of this based on what the, I told the computer to do two hours ago. Right. Let's see how it goes. Did you see 60 Minutes two weeks ago when they led with AI? Mm-hmm. So at yeah, the end refresh it, me. Who'd they use? Um, he, was the, he was the guy that had the, uh, had the 6 o'clock news. You know it. Uh, uh, and he was this 60 Minutes or this is Jeffrey Hinton in Toronto? The, no. The, okay. I, I cut some of that. All right, anyway, He's what, the most famous 60 Minutes reporter. Go ahead. Um, it was uh, this is Scott Pelly. Scott Pelly. Scott Pelly did. And at the end of it, <laughs> we almost had to go to our phones and look up Google. You know what he said? And I'll paraphrase. He says, this segment has been generated by pure, by humans only. And he goes, this is the first time, but not the last time we'll have to say that. Yeah. So, I mean, were you, I assume that was you and Dana today, at, <laughs> right, at 9 o'clock. I thought I was talking about would have been. I mean, your audience right now thinks they're listening to you and me. To Bill Hammer and Brian Kilmeade. <laughs> oh no one could ever knock us off. Absolutely. <laughs> On second thought, we're pretty sure that it's been proven that we are dispensable. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we know that. Hey, back in a moment, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Quality time with Bill Hammer. Don't move. Right on. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Brian and Bill, two friends so bright, had heard about AI and its might. Their curiosity led them to find ChatGPT, a machine of a different kind. They asked it questions, and it replied with answers that left them tongue-tied. They were amazed at what it could do and how it seemed to know so much, too. As they delved deeper into the machine, they began to see its power and sheen. But they also felt a twinge of fear of the unknown and what might appear. They wondered if AI could outsmart or even replace us in every part. But they knew that, in the end, it was up to us to be a true friend. And so, with ChatGPT by their side, they set forth on a journey to abide, to learn and grow, and to be aware of the power of AI and its care. Wow. So what question did you ask it, Eric? That is Bill Hammer and Brian. That was us going back and forth. That would be a summary of our last segment. What did you ask? So I told ChatGPT that Brian and Bill were just now learning about ChatGPT and its capabilities. They were shocked and they were intrigued and also a little scared. And to please write me a short poem. And wow. That's what it gave me. What do you think? <laughs> and they generate. And they generate. How'd you get the voice? Did you say voice it? I just put it. I took what ChatGPT gave me and I plugged it into a text-to-speech translator. Oh, okay. But that's not with ChatGPT. The speech, no. That's on a different site. Yeah, the, ChatGPT will just give you text, and then I plug the text into a text-to-speech generator. Uh huh. Wow. Well, okay, we got that. Wow. <laughs> that was so, by the way, that was good. Hey, I, don't, yeah. I don't exactly know poems. I, mean, I guess if you were driving in your car, right, and you wanted a summary of the Wall Street Journal for that day, you could ask AI to give it to you. You think I can? Yeah. Eric, you think I could do that? Yeah, you just plug the text of the article into ChatGPT and say, summarize this text, and it'll give you a summary. So that way, you know, you're not looking at but your But do you have to cut or... and paste it and put it in to the on, browser? On, on this public version, you do. Um, I think GPT 4.0 will be able to crawl the web automatically, so you give it a link, and then it'll do it. But this one I don't think is has web crawling abilities yet. Hmm. What's real? Or it, what, what was that? It, or is it an illusion? What was that song growing up? I don't know. Is that, that, it sounds uh, like something you, yeah, had, no, or you is it an illusion? To to. I'll, I'll find it once I go to Google and tell you. But, Brian, during the commercial, we were looking at this video from Moscow, right, about this drone hitting a flagpole? <laughs> that was supposed to be, in a, they say, maybe an assassination attempt from and, Ukraine and, on uh, Vladimir Putin. I ask you, as a newsman, is it real? Wow. <laughs> I mean, all, we points, assume it, but all, we, all indications are it is, by the way. But I will say yeah. this. Uh, who's, who does it work for? Does it work for Vladimir Putin? Suddenly the country starts rallying around the cause. Wow, they tried to assassinate the leader. Hit the Kremlin. Uh, but you know that uh, Ukraine always denies it. But our Secretary of State said they knew nothing about it and denies yeah. that it was assassination attempt. We both read about an assassination attempt by a drone on uh, the residence of Vladimir Putin last week. Now we're seeing video. They said it happened yesterday. Yeah. Failed. Mm-hmm. But I would imagine you're not getting to the Kremlin You'd be with the drone. Well, that right? one, well, I mean, it's 500 miles from the border. Yeah. Uh, a drone, uh, yes, a drone could make it that far. Would a drone make it that yeah. far? I mean, you would imagine there's all types of... Uh, some air defenses around the Kremlin? Yeah. I do believe that would be the case. It is so vital for Ukraine to make progress this spring. We'll see summer. how they do, right? Yeah, because to, for, for the West to continue to finance this mm-hmm. at the rate they're doing, yes. and with them 60 million people, with so much damage already being done and so much lives lost, I think this is their biggest spring-summer 
Let's find out there's more to know, shall we? More to know. Sponsored by Spirits Capital Corporation. Barreled whiskey is the cash cow of industry insiders. But now you, too, can invest in premium American whiskey as it ages. Go to caskdeeds.com, C-A-S-K-Deeds.com to learn more. Paid for by Spirits Capital Corporation. Wow, that was a big promo, right? I love it. Yeah. You got to invest in whiskey. Yeah, hey, Bud Light is at risk, Bill, of losing its status as the top-selling beer because they signed Dylan Mulvaney and put him, her, on the cover of the bottle. Uh, sales have tumbled 26%, but I was shocked to see what is coming up. Modelo. Mm. Modelo would be number one in America? <laughs> really? About that. Then, multi, then it would be uh, hey, Brian, Michelob what was, Ultra. What was a worse decision, this or New Coke? Uh, probably. It's incredible what wow. happened. And people say, well, don't boycott. No one's telling people to boycott. Just, they just don't want that can anymore. That's right. It's, but how do you recover? Well, it's going to take some time. Remember, the fratty beer has to be has to be deposed. Right. Right. That's what she said. It's She's, fratty beer. Right. It was the number one selling beer in America. Right. I mean, take what you've got. I love the fact they didn't let her go. They suspended her for a while. Yeah. I guess think we'll about what you did. Go we'll to the beach. We'll go to the beach and, and stare yeah, okay. into the ocean. Next. <laughs> Yes. Are you, you going to do anything? Go. No, you go. Oh, oh yeah. Me. Aren't you doing oh, anything? I, no, I thought you did all this no. stuff. All right, Taylor Swift. Did he get a copy? You I, yeah, copy. I got yeah. it. I, I don't know if it was a new format here, oh, yeah. so I'm just getting up to speed. T Swift breaks a new record with 10 albums in the Billboard Top 100 at the same time. Wow, that's pretty good. Among those 10 albums, nine are in the top 50, eight in the top 40, three in the top 10. Beat that, kill me. She is really good at music. Ooh. Bill Hamm, we're out of time. We'll see you tomorrow at 9 a.m. Got it, brother. All right, Thank I'll be brother. on our earlier. Brian Kilmeade, you Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.